This podcast is powered by SEM Wealth Management. SEM Wealth Management, where your faith, your values, and your investments align. Great day, everyone. Ed Dudley, and welcome to the journey of Financial Advisor Experience. I'm sitting here with two absolutely amazing people and my co-host, Mr. Garland Scott, and the beautiful Ms. Greer Rubling. How are you guys doing today? Great. Doing good, Ed. Doing good. Happy to do this thing again. Um, this is what the second one we've done with Greer now, and I love the spice. And so I'm sure with today's guest... <laughs> Uh, we're gonna get a little bit of spice out of this too, from uh, from Raleigh, North Carolina, from Cary, North Carolina. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell us how you found our guest today? Oh, LinkedIn. I do everything okay. on LinkedIn. I found, is- you know, I I reached out to her. I saw something. Um, she, she was tagged in a post okay. with a lot of other advisors, and I saw her name. I reached out to her, and I I sent a message to her, and. Um, She's like, all right, what is it about? What, what do you guys want to talk about? Who are you guys? And um, sent her a little information. She said, yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation with her. Um, yeah. Because she wears a couple of hats. And I really want to dig into um, not only her journey, but her firm as well. Because her firm is very intriguing to me. Okay. Let's bring her in. Okay. I'm excited. I know nothing. <laughs> you know nothing? Oh, you're going to find out a lot. <laughs> Great day, Shardia. How are you? I am doing very well. How about you? Oh, it's 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 a great day. It's just getting a little cool. Um, I'm 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 okay with that because you know um, I worked on my tan all day, all summer long, as you guys can tell. Um, (laughs) Got this got this nice uh, uh, chocolate color during the summer. I used to look like I used to look like Greer part of the summer. (laughs) That's a hell of a tan. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for joining us. Um, and as we said, this is a show to really highlight you, highlight your journey, where you came from, how you got started in the business, and then where you are today. Um, so we'll leave the floor open to you know, let us know who are you and you know, how did you you start in this business? Yeah. So um, again, Shardea ages. And so I am originally from Detroit, Michigan. I now live in Atlanta, Georgia uh, with my husband and my family. And my, I've taken kind of a circuitous ta- um, path to get to where I am. Um, I don't know if you want me to go into all that right now or if, if we're going to oh, break yes, it up. Please. Yes. I want to hear it. <laughs> okay. So I started my career off um, well, so I attended and graduated from Florida and m University, and I knew uh, going into it that I wanted to pursue something in finance, financial literacy, wealth management, didn't really know exactly. Um, and that was because I grew up um, in Detroit. My mom was a single mom. We really didn't have much. You know, I grew up in the neighborhood where there were payday loans and people cashing checks at liquor stores and all that stuff. And so I just knew that that didn't feel right. And my mom always took us to the better schools outside of our neighborhood. So I got to see how other people lived. And so I'm like, hmm, how can I, like, what, what can I do to help people in my community? And so that was kind of always my foundation and, and, and my why of sorts. And so, um, but my other passion was acting and modeling and all that stuff. And so that's, I did that in high school, but I also knew that it didn't really lead to getting the money and getting outside of poverty, at least not immediately. So I was like, hmm, I'm smart. Let me go to college instead. So in FAMU, um, I, I did pursue modeling there as well, um, but I really got into um, finance and financial literacy and personal finance. And so I participated in two programs called um, SEO, which was at the time sponsors for education, mm-hmm. educational opportunities, I believe, and inroads. And those programs got me internships 
at some of the largest firms, JP Morgan. Um, I was at uh, Bank of America. It was called Standard Federal or LaSalle Bank at the time. But that is where I really um, got the experience and said, for sure, this is what I want to do. And so FAMU was amazing at uh, teaching me how to assimilate, right? Like learn how to forget the Shardaya of Detroit and, you know, wear your hair a certain way. Don't wear your nail polish a certain color, wear a certain color suit. And that got me the job, right? Like I impressed everybody. I, I knew how to fit in. But once I got to my dream job, which was JP Morgan, I felt suffocated. Like I, I hated it. I didn't like what I was becoming. Um, and I thought at the time I didn't like, <laughs> um, and I graduated in 2008 and that was when the great recession happened. And so I'm all, so I'm having this internal, is this what I, really what I want to do? Cause I can't really be me, but then I'm also walking, you know, down park Avenue and seeing people picketing and, it, it was also like Occupy Wall Street. So it was all this at the time where it was like, I see all these people that look like me. It looked like people that I grew up with. And they're like mad at me <laughs> and what I represent with my firm. Girl, you're um, giving me PTSD. <laughs> I mean, I was a Goldman Sachs in 2008. Oh, it was a lot. And so, you know, as a 20, two 23 year old, I just lost it. I just, I was like, I'm disenfranchised. I don't know what I want to do. Um, so that was my start of, of reaching my goal and then kind of plateauing and being like, now I don't know what to do. Um, and so that want me to keep going now. Cause I, I well, can tell the I want to ask, I, I want to ask, <laughs> a, let me, let me jump Good in question. real quick. Because yeah. um, I'm, I'm real interested in I know what you just high. Yeah, you do. At the time at FAM, you were talking about assimilation. I want you to talk about how you felt with that. And then you said you were not becoming yourself. You were losing yourself at J.P. Morgan. What does that mean for some of our, our people that are listening that don't understand that? And what was the point, the tipping point? You're just like, I can't do it anymore. Okay. Um, so assimilation, um, that had a lot to do with, like I said, a lot leaving parts of me and parts of my culture and my background home <laughs> or in the dorm. Or, I, call you know, it, I call it turning up and turning down our blackness. Literally. We do. Right. Yep. right? We dial it up, we can dial it that back. Yeah. Depending and on so, the circumstances. Yep. And, and, and I was trained on how to do that. Like it was, it was embedded in me. Like I said, it was the, the way that I dressed it. I, fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know. For me, I always talked white growing up. So, so that part was always kind of in me, quote unquote. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> don't start. <laughs> you don't want me to start? In this. I really am. I want to hear it. I know that you guys probably have dealt with it your whole lives. Assimilation is one of those necessary evils. If you, and she's right, if you want to be in this very, very, very white industry or any industry um, where we lack diversity, we lack color, we lack culture, what you do is that you have to become accepted and to cold switch yep, means you have, you have to leave behind cultural things that you grew up with. And that includes language that includes, um, it includes dress. It includes hair. Believe me, I, I, I'm thankful for this bald head. Cause if I had dreadlocks, I couldn't survive out in these streets. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. Yep. So you, you, you brought up about the way that you speak talking white. Um, yeah. and you actually triggered me. <laughs> so I had a gentleman, um, that I was prospecting and taking them lunch and he was in my car and taking them back to his office and we're talking. And the gentleman says to me, you speak very well for a black okay. man. Yeah. He said, you speak very well for a black man. And I'm driving, yeah. so I'm, you know, I'm kind of white knuckling the steering wheel because I didn't want to code switch on him in the car. 
Um, and I said, excuse me, he said, and then he doubled down. He said, did you take dictation classes? He said, I, can, I can always, I can always tell when I'm speaking to someone black. It's unbelievable how stupid people think that we are. How little they, they think, think we put in life. That's what what Bridges just said. They think it's a compliment. They think it's a compliment. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Yep. All right, Shadette, oh. so we, you, you and I have a couple of cross uh, paths that we cross together <laughs> different times. Um, you were yes. B of A before it became B of A. Yes. And what was your bank called? Uh, so actually two iterations of it. So I, yeah. I interned at LaSalle Bank. Okay. And um, I also, uh, my very first job uh, in high school was at Standard Federal and they both became Bank of America. So I was at Nations Bank. Nations okay. Bank. Nations Bank bought both those two banks and then merged okay. Bank of America. Yep. That's why I was asking. Yep. And then while you yep. were while you were lollygagging around uh, Occupy Wall Street, working <laughs> for JP Morgan, I was uh, I was hiding away at Goldman Sachs, yep. trying not to get on TV because they thought that you know all vice presidents are executives, which is nonsense. Yeah. You should have been on TV. They should have put you on TV. No, they shouldn't have. <laughs> oh, yeah. They don't even really want me on this podcast that no one watches. Exactly. So you can yeah. TV. Oh, give him a minute. Give him a minute. Watch. So yeah. go back. So go back to JP Morgan. And you said you were losing yourself. And that tipping yeah. point where I just you just had to walk away. Yeah, yeah. And so you asked kind of what what that felt like. And it's really, it's it's almost indescribable, but it just felt like I was suffocating. Like I used to say, I felt like a caged bird that just could not fly and be myself. I couldn't, I couldn't be Shardaya. Um, because I was, so I, I was in the program, um, or like a cohort, essentially, there were maybe 10 of us that came in as the class across JP Morgan's kind of platform. And at the end of the first year, it was maybe down to half of us. And then the second year, and, and I didn't even last the whole second year, it was only like down to two, right? And so they, I feel like most of those companies do a really good job at bringing us in, but it's just really hard to keep us because once we're there, then it's like, all right, <laughs> now the, 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 the cultivation, the, the understanding, the cultural differences, all of that kind of, it, it just is non-existent. And so because I was forced to fit into this mold that I, and I was able to perform for a while, it just got again to the point to where I, I couldn't pretend to be something that I wasn't. Granted, code switching is still something that we have to do pretty much always to an extent. Um, but at the time, I just really didn't have the maturity or the understanding as to why I needed to, to do that. <laughs> Um, and it, it was hard. And like I said, because people were leaving, you know, just kind of put me in a position of, is this really even what I want to do? Especially because of what was happening on the streets as well. So what did you do? I left, I moved to Tampa because <laughs> yeah. I was in Chicago. I moved to Tampa with my boyfriend at the time, um, which is a whole nother story. But then I ended up um, working with uh, working with um, Morgan Stanley Smith Barney and okay. I was in their uh, call center. And so I enjoyed that at first because it was an opportunity for me to work really closely with the advisors, really um, get to understand the needs of the investors. And, and I was really ingrained in that, in that retail investing culture. Um, and I performed well, I, I excelled. Um, I got my Series 65 at the time, but I just didn't like the the physical restraints of being in a call center. Like it just it just didn't it, it didn't vibe with me at all. The whole 15 minute breaks, having to check in, like I was like I, I can't I can't do this. <laughs> like being chained to my desk didn't work for me. Um, and so um, I decided to leave there to the um chagrin of my managers because again I, I was doing well and, and they thought that i would excel and, and, and move on and the relationship part was not working out so i was like let me get out of here um and so 
no reason to be in Tampa. Um, I felt like at the time. And so I left there and I was like, okay, now what I want, what do I want to do? Um, again, I felt like the finance and investments, just maybe it wasn't for me because I couldn't really, I, I just never felt fulfilled in any of my roles. And so I was like, well, let me just go back to acting. That's something that I enjoy. I missed it at the time. Um, I still miss it. Um, but, but I missed it at the time. And so I moved to Atlanta and decided that's what I will do. And so for three years, for the most part, I, I wrote plays. I direct, well, I didn't direct that a lot. I wrote plays. I acted in plays. I did voiceover stuff. All, all, I did Atlanta. Um, but then it got to a point where I was like, all right, I need money again. <laughs> so <laughs> I started, uh, <laughs> I started working in real estate. Okay. So I got licensed. Um, I was, um, leasing, a single, um, uh, single unit homes and condos and, um, and I, again, did really well. FAMU raised me white, right. Raised me white, raised me right. <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> raised me right. And so I succeeded. Um, but I felt like with real estate, you have to love it. Like. To, yeah. to really, really, really do well. And I was like, this is just kind of something that I'm doing on the side. I learned a lot. That knowledge helps me to this day. But I was like, that's not re really what I want to do. So then I was back at square one. <laughs> like, all right, Shardaya, you've done the things. You are, you know, getting at this point, I'm later in my 20s. And I'm like, all right, you know, I was on this career path with this trajectory and it kind of fell flat and now I'm feeling bad about myself to be like really transparent and honest because I'm seeing my peers excelling and still working at these large firms and I was just you know questioning kind of what's what's wrong with me can I not do it am I am I that you know ghetto girl from Detroit that that can't really hang out with you know the professionals and I knew that was wrong but that's what I was feeling and so I um, kind of took a break. I got married. Um, my husband is a um, executive coach and just a super affirmation type of guy, which was amazing at the time, but also very annoying. <laughs> <laughs> so he was coaching you, basically. He was, he was coaching me, which is every hard. day, all day. Which is hard from your husband, exactly, right? So <laughs> he was a lot. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not your client. Um, but but it's it's what I needed. I, I needed that push because I I, I really I, I sunk really low um emotionally. And so um so now I'm I'm in, I'm like, all right, I'm back, you know, what can I do? Because at the end of the day, again, my why is still still sustained, it's still stood. I really wanted to help people that look like me do better with money. And so I was like, well, where can I start? I was again applying for the large firms and they were looking at me like, girl, bye. <laughs> we have just gaps in your resume, like me not really messing with you. So, um, so I was like, all right, then let me try banking. So I went to um, uh, Wells Fargo and I was a licensed banker there. Again, did really well but I didn't like the practices of the firm, which was pretty much when everything hit the fan and hit the news. And I was like, okay, I gotta get out of here. Um, and so left there kind of in, well, I, I left there for those reasons, but also my husband got a job at, um, at NASA at the time. And so we moved to DC. And so, <laughs> told you, no big deal. like this. My life is like this. <laughs> um, and, so, and so we, uh, so we moved to DC and DC was really the turning point for all of us because it, we lived in the city, we walked, we took the train and it really put me back in that space of living in Chicago where I was going to JP Morgan, um, from, uh, let me take a step back. Cause I think I, I messed up the ge geographics. So I was in New York with JP Morgan during training, and then I was working full-time in Chicago. So it took me back to Chicago, my Chicago days where I felt motivated. I was around people that were also really professional, and I started working for PNC, 
and I got like three promotions in a year and a half while I was there. Um, and it was because people just really poured into me and really saw my potential and, and really, um, really worked with me. And it was fantastic. Actually, I loved it. I was on my way back up to wealth management, but then my mom fell ill um, and she was in Atlanta. And again, I'm the oldest of three and I'm like, my mama's sick. I'm about to go help my baby. So I moved back to Atlanta, uh, still with PNC. They allowed me to transfer, but the culture was a little different. The experience was different in Atlanta versus DC. And I was, I, I was still there, it was fine, but I was starting to look around a little bit and Merrill Lynch reached out to me. And I'm like, all right, I'm back. <laughs> like, like, you know, recruiters reaching out to me, I'm good. So I, um, while I was at PNC though, I um, was studying and uh, became a certified financial planner. And so um, once I was at Merrill, I was ready to, to be the planner. I was ready to do all the things that I had learned. Um, a little brag. I was, I was told I was one of the only people to ever get like 100% on their final financial plan um, as a part of the course. I'm like, yes, I can do this. I'm, I'm, I'm a genius. But Meryl didn't really want no financial planners. <laughs> Meryl wanted, wanted want salespeople. salespeople to go out and accumulate assets. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll do this. And I, I, I did it for as long as I could, knowing what my circle was, right? Because I didn't have a whole bunch of wealthy people that had that can meet the minimums. So I was there maybe a year, a year and a half. Um, kind of same thing, people dropping off, leaving the program. And I was at a pro bono event with the uh, with FPA, Financial Planners Association, I think it was called. And I met Emma. And Emma was presenting. Um, and, you know, she sees me walk in and she's like, huh. And I'm like, okay, that was a weird kind of reaction. And then we're on break and she comes over and she's like, hey, black girl, you're a CFP. Who are you? I'm like, I know everybody. I don't know you. And I was like, okay. We all know but, each you other. Know, yeah, apparently. We do. We, do. we all cousins, <laughs> darling. I mean, black female CFP. I told you three of them. And apparently they're all at your firm. So we got them all. And we're searching for the others. <laughs> and so she, and so she, you know, we exchanged cards. She saw that I was with Meryl and she kind of was like, all right, check, you know, she's, she's not doing the type of work that she wants to do there. And she was right. So we had lunch and she caught me on a day when I was just, again, kind of in my feelings about what I really want to do. Um, and she was uh, at the time with Cambridge Investment Research, um, but she had a team called Greenwood Wealth Management. And it was built on the Greenwood community in Tulsa. And it was this whole story. And I was like, home, like, like with you is where I need to be. <laughs> and so um, we I started working with her and her other partner. And that is where I really got to do the type of work that I, I've always wanted to do. Right. I was, I was doing speaking engagements because um, Meryl was shutting all that down. Um, so I was able to do that. I did a speaking engagement or a, a panel, a, a televised panel discussion in Florida. That is where I met Camila Elliott. Um, and she and I hit it off really well. And we um, exchanged information, stayed in contact. That was maybe at the top of 2020. Um, but again, I'm building my book of business. I will say in the beginning, um, I was more altruistic. <laughs> in my approach because I was helping all the people that I couldn't help before um, and charging them very little. And then I was like, I'm not making any money again. Um, and so how can I find the happy medium of helping people on like both ends of the, of the economic spectrum? And so um, I kind of had to figure that out because Emma had her book and I was, I was helping her, I was supporting her in like a paraplanner type role like I said, I was building my own, but I wasn't really making a whole lot of money for my own book. Um, and then COVID happened, um, and which was unfortunate for the world because COVID was COVID and still is. Um, but it also 
that was also with George Floyd and all that. And now people are really interested in being intentional about who they want to work with and working with black people and becoming financially literate and all these things. And so people started reaching out to us and it kind of just exploded from there um, um, from a, a, a client standpoint. And um, in July of 2020, of last year, um, Emma and her former partner decided to go their, their separate ways. He owned the name of Greenwood. I uh, was deciding if I was going to, if Emma and I were going to stay together or if I was going to go and do my own thing. But then I went and had brunch with Camila and she was wanting to leave her, her firm. So I was like, hey girl, let's, <laughs> let's build something. And um, Camila at the time had just learned that she was going to be the first uh, black chair of the CFP board. So we were like, this is perfect timing, let's do it. And so I um, shared with, with Emma kind of what my plan was. And she decided she wanted to for sure be a part of it. Camila reached out to her um, coworker at the time, Brian McKinney, who's out of Colorado, kind of told him what we wanted to build. He decided he wanted to be a part of it as well. We officially formed the, the company in December of last year. We named it Altruist Wealth Partners, but uh, there was a company in Michigan that owned, that trademarked that name. We didn't know we needed to check that. And he pretty much shut it down. <laughs> and we were like, we don't wanna fight them. We're not gonna pay them. Like, let's just find something else. And so we're, we were like, well, what do we want our firm to stand for like who are we and we were like we are collectively coming together and we're going to have a collective approach to our clients we all have expertise in areas that we um have have more expertise in and so um let's call it collective wealth partners and that's what we decided on we changed the name in march of this year and here we are and things are fantastic it's it's the best decision i've ever made in my life i'm very happy that's awesome. That's a good story. <laughs> I love that story. I, I was, I started in the financial services industry in 2007 at Smith Barney, and mm. I stayed in the financial services industry the entire time. And um, I love that you, ha I just love that you exited it and did other things because you felt that those were the things that you wanted to do at the time and that you wanted to feel more like yourself, uh, mm -hmm. even though acting is like acting like other people. But I, I thought that was kind of funny that you went from like, oh, I want to do something that's more for me. I'm going to go do acting. <laughs> but then the like real estate, because I had those thoughts all along the entire time that I was on my journey thinking, I don't think I want to be in the financial services industry. I, I don't see much representation even on my part as a as a woman i don't see that many advisors or financial planners that are women mostly there in supporting roles and that's mm -hmm. the assumption that most men make when they are speaking to me at these conferences and you know at the time yes i was in supporting roles but i still felt like it was always an assumption and even when I started my own business, sometimes I still get people who are assuming that I'm an advisor's assistant when I'm in yeah. their office helping them with a the transition. And so I've felt out of place in this industry for many, many years, but, um, you know, I always, I've never left it <laughs> for some reason. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's so interesting to hear other people's stories and I love your story and I love that you came back and you found your voice and now you're using it to really help others. And that's what I feel like I'm trying to do at this point. And yeah. it's just amazing what we have to go through to get to the point where we feel like we are able to use our voices to help others. Yes, yes absolutely. Thank you so for saying that. I I can ask you a million questions, but I want to go back because I spent I spent a lot of time in Atlanta. Um, I lived out there, um, so I know what the makeup of the Merrill Lynch office. First of all, what? No, we're not going to go there. What was your experience like at Merrill? Uh, because I know what most of the Merrill's offices look like. So, what was your experience as a black woman 
like at yeah. Maryland? Yeah, so I was in the Buckhead office and there were um, maybe, I, I know it, it was it was one black female advisor and her daughter, um, Sonia and Rhea Fears. And so when I learned about them, I was like, I need to go talk to them. Um, and they're really successful, um, have been there for years. I think she just actually recently moved to go to Morgan, which is interesting. But uh, I kind of, I, I was seeking out women that looked like me and it, it was very minimal. Um, and so I was like, all right, well then what else can I do? Because you know, I couldn't join, it was all about trying to join a team because if you were by yourself, it was a likelihood that you wouldn't succeed. And so I, I wanted to join them, but I, um, that didn't really work out because um, everyone's trying to take care of themselves. <laughs> um, and then I started reaching out to some other kind of teams and, and, and seeing if they were interested and um, everyone loved me, but they really want to see what you have to offer before they accept you on their team, even as in, in the planner role where the main focus isn't to gather assets. And so that strategy didn't really work with me or work for me to try to join a team. And so we started the uh, Black advisors that were there, um, some who were more senior and others that were were new, we joined a team. And, and it wasn't just the Black advisors, it was people who wanted to, to do well. So, so we decided to join kind of a, a cohort where we made it competitive and tried to support one another, but it still, it still was just purely really centered on gathering assets. And that's not where I, that's not really what I ultimately wanted to do. So it was a fine, it was a fine experience. I mean, it just kind of was what it was. It's either you make it here or you don't. <laughs> and I knew that I didn't really, I ultimately didn't fit in with the culture there. Um, but like I said, they wanted me to stay. The director of the, of the office, he um, he didn't want to leave me. Well, he didn't want me to leave. But at the end of the day, I had a better opportunity to do something that will allow me to work with the community at large. And again, um, do it on my own terms, as opposed to really, really having a, to be dipped in that narrow kind of gloss that that was like be this way only and that's it i want to touch on something that that is often missed um when you talk about you, know, you get bounced out of a firm you don't feel comfortable at a firm you're making life decisions around your career but the psychology around that is damning right i mean mm -hmm. you mentioned you sort of you breeze through you know, you were down on yourself. You met your husband. Thank goodness he was an executive coach. He knows exactly how to pump you up and get you back in the mix. But so many of us don't have that support. And we've seen it. I've All four of us have probably seen it through our careers where people just go away, right? Yeah. They're at UBS. They're at Morgan. They're at whatever firm that there is. They don't pan out. And then they're just gone. They don't resurface anywhere at all. Can you talk about those kinds of feelings, how that was um, when you were saying, I'm done with this, I don't think this is for me, I'm not gonna ever find my way in the down in this industry. Yeah, it was it was hurtful because like I said, it's it's what I've always wanted to do. I remember my mom she she found a letter that I wrote myself or I think it was a school assignment my senior year about you know, a, a day in the life of yourself as an adult, you know, at some point in the future. And I said that I was a financial advisor. I had my own firm. I had a nonprofit on the side um, where I did pro bono work, which I actually do currently have a, 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 um, a nonprofit. I said that I was going to have a tennis court where I would play tennis and, and all these things, like, you know, it, it was checking all the boxes of what a successful financial advisor was. And just recently, I, my mom gave me that letter and it pretty much is my life. And I cried and I broke down and I felt really grateful because I remember to your question, I remember when I didn't feel like I belonged in this industry. 
And so it, it, it was really depressing. I felt like, like I said, I, like, like maybe I didn't have what it took. Maybe I wasn't smart enough. Um, I couldn't, as, as much as FAMU had trained me to assimilate and, and be a part of, of, of the majority culture, maybe I, I just didn't, I couldn't. Like it just, it just, it wasn't made for me. And, and then it got to the point where I couldn't really get the jobs that I wanted. And so it was really hard. It, 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 it took a, a psychological toll on me. Um, and so, yeah, thankful to my husband to build me back up. But to your point, I have peers that, you know, started in the same program as me and had similar experiences. And now they're doing something completely different, um, you know, more, uh, more, uh, uh, current jobs like influencers and things like that but um you know i i i i just look back and i'm very very grateful for finding my place in this industry because it was very hard and i thought i was i really hit the bottom um like i remember talking to my friend she lives in chicago and i went to visit her and we went and we're we were having lunch um, across the street from the office that I worked in in Chicago. And, you know, I said to her, I, I really feel like I have to start over. Like I, I wasted all that time. And, you know, because at the end of the day, this is still my heart. I still want to be in it, but now I have to, you know, everyone else continued, those that did continued along that trajectory and, and, and are hitting goals and milestones. And I'm starting over and that didn't feel good for my ego, but I knew that if I continued to work hard and all those things and found my path that it would happen and it did, but I, I didn't know for sure. No, you're, you're the exact reason why we do this stuff because you know, you, you, you glossed over it, but the gap that happens from the person who doesn't look like you, um, who stays at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney or stays at JP Morgan, or stays at Merrill Lynch, you know, they keep ascending and you're bouncing around plateauing until you find your footing years later. And, and then we wonder why, you know, we stay at numbers like 9% and 4% and 2%. This is why. So many times I've seen, and I'm not going to mention firms name because it's all firms. I think that do this. Right? Every, a, every firm. You get a recruiting class that comes in and you know, there's 20 people in that class and it's already hard. It's hard for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So there's natural attrition, but then you look up 15, 18 months later and all right. So the two dudes they brought in, they're gone. Right. And, yep. and then the next class comes through and they, they selected the next Brown folks to step into yep. those same spots that are going to also fail. And so it's just sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. This industry is not figured out yet um, yep. around anyone that's not, you know, not a white dude that comes from, you know, some sort of privilege. And that's a word we, I think, overuse at times. But in, in our case, in, in this industry, completely. Um, being a white man is a privilege, whether you come from privilege or not. Yeah. Being a white man uh, is, that is privilege. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Absolutely. Here's the other thing I wanted to hit on, too, because yeah. you mentioned it. 2020. So we are sitting on this podcast literally because of 2020. And this is this goes back to to Ed and I and our experience. And just so you know, um, you know my my firm, Ed and I is Ed's consultant in my firm. I, I run distribution for my firm. Um, we're an asset manager. Um, and, and we are heavily involved with FPA, like seven chapters. So you and I need to talk about Atlanta because uh, you know, we're not part of Atlanta yet. Okay. But 2020 happens, we're all sitting at home because of COVID, we're isolated. And then a bunch of eyeballs get to Minnesota, a place I used to live, by the way. And we all watched George Floyd. And Ed Dudley writes a very inspirational or gives a very inspirational speech on a video that goes viral. And when I say viral, viral. He put it on Facebook, but it really went viral on LinkedIn. And my cohorts and my, my owner of, of my company, um, Jeff, he sees the video, tags me, and he goes, what's this all about? And we have a heart to heart about all of this stuff. Like yeah. all of my trials, all of my encounters with police, all of it um, as a wholesaler driving all over the place. And 
for myself and for my firm and for Ed, uh, it certainly was a, a life-changing experience because we said right there in that space, we got to do something different and we got to do something a little bit more in our communities. And so this is part of a little bit more. This is this podcast is part of that experience. Um, part of it's financial literacy. Part of it is your firm's name is awesome. The collective. That's so cool. Um, but so many brown folks, we ain't got no advisors. No right. advisors. We out here just winging it. Um, <laughs> and so we are. We are we're we're just now coming in the first generation wealth. Yeah. You know, we're 400 years behind, yep. right? We're 400, yep. 450 years behind. So we're just now kind of figuring this stuff out. And we need people like you and your cohorts and your colleagues and your firms. I hope there are many more, more firms like yours out there. And let me get off my soapbox. But I want you to walk me through 2020 after George Floyd or in the middle of George Floyd. And suddenly your business goes boom because brown folks are going I gotta, I gotta have someone that looks like me. Yeah, yeah. Um, in part, um, because of everything that was going on, um, just for me personally, I, I knew that I wasn't the type that would be in the streets marching and all that stuff. So I had to figure out something else that I could do. And we kind of just decided as a firm that we would really take to social media and, and really like, like our space, my space is financial literacy. I want to educate. I want to teach us. And so I was like, that's what I could do. That's my superpower. And so we just started doing little videos and snippets of um, financial education. And um, that really started, you know, catching people's attention and things like that. And then we um, and then people, again, just started uh, because of their natural desire to want to do better and, and because of what was happening in the world. And it, it seemed like all of a sudden, all these financial coaches started sprouting up. <laughs> all, the, all these people all of a sudden started becoming financial experts. And so um, I guess- Yeah, TikTok and everything. I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> that, that's odd. But- <laughs> But um, we had to kind of compete with them, not compete, but put ourselves out there as well so that they can, so that we can have a credible voice, right? To share a credible voice. Um, and then, yeah, people just started reaching out to us and Googling us because of our name. Like, I think our name really resonated with um, what was going on at the time because of what happened to, what happened in Tulsa with Greenwood and, and the amount of wealth that was wiped out and just kind of being tired of, society and the system just 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 messing with us <laughs> and just you know like the whole systemic racism and all of that stuff it, i think it just kind of hit a boiling point and so people um were really just trying to find credentialed people that looked like them that could help them better their lot in life and and the words the words generational wealth was like everywhere everyone wanted to start creating generational wealth and so um we were kind of just at the right place at the right time um in addition to like i said the social media efforts that we kind of put out and um people just started coming to us and we started getting referrals and like i said i was um i started doing um other little not little other podcasts and 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 things like that and so i think all of that just really helped but it really was just black people being like, I'm tired. Like, like our time is now and we have to be proactive and we have to do better because if not, we'll be here still in the same situation in another, you know, hundred years or so. And so it just, it worked out for us. So now, now you get the pushback, right? So it's 2020, we become in some people's view too woke. And, and then here comes the backlash. And you live in Atlanta, so you're right there in the hotbed of all this nonsense, including voting and all that stuff. Tell me how that's affected not just your business, but you personally, um, all the politicizing that's going on down there, um, all the rubble rising that's going on down there, and frankly, just all the flat out hatred and bigotry that goes on down yeah. there. Yeah. So that's a good question. And, and, and honestly, I'm still 
trying to figure out how I feel about it because it's, it's not so like it's overwhelming. Old. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's 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 it can be it's so overwhelming. Um, I'll say even you know I I couldn't personally watch the George Floyd video. Right to this day, I haven't seen it all because I I can't I can't take it. Um, and so to your point, what's happening? If, I have a, a, a friend, an 80-year-old Jew, white man out of New York <laughs> that I befriended. And he asked me, he said, Shardaya, I would never go back and, 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 and live in Germany because of what happened to me. He said, why do you live in the South? <laughs> He's like, I just don't get it. Like, why are you in Atlanta? And, you know, it's like, well, first of all, Atlanta is, it's, it's hot Atlanta, it's still dope. But <laughs> outside of that, <laughs> Outside of Atlanta, I mean, it's Georgia. <laughs> it's still, you know, it, it, it's still, it, it, we're still dealing with a lot. And so I guess long answer to your short question is it, it takes a toll on me. It's emotional. It's overwhelming. And so I kind of have to shut a lot of it out and compartmentalize so that I'm able to be productive and successful um, because it, it truly is overwhelming. But I also feel like, the little bit that I'm doing professionally, what I do with my nonprofit, going into the schools and things like that, like it's it's at least helping people, especially with, with the kids. It's 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 truly giving them the tools to be able to change the trajectory of their lives and and to be able to do like educate their parents. I've had kids say, you know. I took this home and taught my mom how to do a budget or whatever. And so just that in, in its small little way is, is, is what keeps me going and, and kind of shuts out a lot of the noise that's happening um, because I like living in Atlanta. <laughs> I don't necessarily want to move, um, but, but it's a lot. Like right now with the politics, it's, 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 it's overwhelming and it's kind of ridiculous, but it is what it is. I have one question that I'm not really sure how to ask as a white woman. Um, the assimilation, is that something that you look back on and you think I'm grateful for that, even though it's not necessarily something that you look at and say, like, that's a good thing? Like, I'm I would love to know your opinion on it because I'm just, I'm so intrigued by it now because I've never really, you know, I've been through things where people are like, oh, you know, as a woman who is young, like, just don't talk back. And, you know, like, I've been told mm -hmm. things in my past that I look back on now and I'm like, why are we telling women that? So I'm, I would like to know your opinion on the effectiveness of it, the necessity of it, just... Mm -hmm. I would just like to yeah, know. Good, yeah, good question. Um, I, and it's a loaded question, but I think that <laughs> at the time, it's a big question, but That's I think so at the time, um, so times have changed, right? So I think kids now coming into these firms, like like tattoos are acceptable, you know, braids are, are acceptable now. So that is just kind of a part of it. So I don't think as much assimilation is is being embedded or, or taught as much anymore, I would think. But to answer your question, it's, oh, part of, it, it was required. <laughs> it was necessary at the time. Um, I think it, it, it it's bad advice. I think that it creates a lot of turnover. It, it creates a lot of people feeling the way that I felt. But that was the only way that I could get in the door at the time. Creates a lot of resentment too, Greer. Um, I, 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 I I'd go home having spent a whole day you know, doing what I do, and I'd just be flat pissed off. Just like yeah. I'm tired. Of, I'm, you know, and it, and it becomes the conversation of I'm tired of these white folks. I mean, and and yeah. you never want to get to that point because then you know this T-shirt means nothing, right? And that's yeah. and but that's what this stuff does. And the reality of our world is that if we don't do it in the beginning, we never even get the chance to do the thing. Exactly. We want. So exactly. I can't come in with my blackness turned up in an right. interview and expect for Bank of America to hire me. It's just not right. going to happen. And right. so 
the, the hardest part about that though, is that because we're not our authentic selves, people at work who thought they knew me, don't know me at all. They don't know me. People don't know, people that you know, Greer, don't know me. They oh, think right. they know me, they don't know me. They know the work version of us. Right. right. Yeah. They, they know, know the they space that we in. have to be in to navigate. They right. know us. They know garbage. But outside, no. I can, I can, yeah. I can really dial down my, my blackness and get really extra white on your ass. <laughs> but they don't know me. Yeah. It's also exhausting. <laughs> chameleon. That's the point right there. What she it just is, said yeah. right there. Yeah, it gets exhausting because it takes effort, right? It, it, it takes it takes a lot of effort and um, energy to dial that down and to keep it down and to kind of stay in this space. And it's funny, like my my friends and I um, talk about little slip ups that we have. <laughs> so I did, so true. <laughs> I was um, in uh, New Orleans just recently, and I was working with um, NASA, which is I forget the acronym, um, North American um, Securities Administration Administrator, something something like that. But basically, um, I was teaching them about how they, since they are the authority on um, licensed professionals and licensed professionals want to work with more diverse clients or people, then here's how, here, here are different programs and approaches that you can take. But it's a room full of white folks. And so um, I, I think I like accidentally said low key or something like that. <laughs> Wait a minute, so now you gotta explain what that means now. You can't just put it out there. You gotta share, you gotta tell what does that mean? Wait a minute. First of all, I would have paid to see some of the faces in the room. What's low key? Exactly. That's why I said you gotta explain. And then the two black people in the audience kind of like sift up and I avoided eye contact. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Girl, you don't do that. You don't do that in this space. So low key, it is when something, I don't even know how to explain it. Something isn't well known or, um, I don't know. How do you explain low key? It's, you can't be PC with this stuff. Just say what it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Just say what it is. What is it? Um. So. You're trying to get, you're trying to get it right. Don't do that. <laughs> I, but I'm also like trying to figure out like, how do I actually explain it how do i say it um but it's <laughs> it's when it's so uh, the context in which i said it was i think it was about social media and i said look <laughs> this is another piece of another um honesty for me i said low-key i don't even really um enjoy being on social media all the time and so it was just um so it's like a, like, in reality like, in reality, honestly, this is a different situation, but I have to present myself another way. Okay. Okay. I am I am a huge TikTok user and the low-key is a phrase that is very commonly used <laughs> in the comments on TikTok. And it took me a little while to kind of like recognize <laughs> what people were saying, but also now that you've kind of put it into a context, I think there's a lot of people on TikTok that are not using that phrase the way they think they are. So, um, probably true. And I That's think they're right people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that I'm going to sound weird, but I think that everybody should be on TikTok because TikTok, the algorithm of TikTok oh. is so telling. It is so amazingly strong what gets fed to you and how regular it like changes your opinions but also affirms your opinions mm -hmm. and so like i think you could tell a lot about a person by just opening up their TikTok and scrolling it's through yeah. for an hour and like yeah. uh, my TikTok algorithm has changed drastically over the last year or so i have tons of people of color on my TikTok. I have tons of women who are like speaking about all of the things that we're speaking about now. And it tells me that I'm finally getting to the point now where I'm feeling more comfortable in my own skin and able to have these conversations 
with other people and talk about my experiences, but also recognize mm -hmm. that they were like kind of messed up and, <laughs> um, you know, changed the narrative a little bit. Yeah. So it's really, it's yeah. really amazing what social media can do and the, and the audience that it can reach. But um, hey, hey, hey Garland, this is for you. Greer is becoming, <laughs> becoming woke. Hey, watch yourself, Greer. You're in North Carolina. Man. You can't get too woke down there. <laughs> well, in a, in where, where she is, she can, but she goes too far on the outskirts. Yeah. It's like going know. going to Macon and Hepzibah and all that. that let's put oh, that yeah. in context for you. Yeah, it's always amazing during election time. I'm like, what? What? where are all these people coming from? Like, like where I am, like we're all having the same basic discussions, but a couple miles around me when I step outside totally the different. city limits. Ooh. Yeah. So the amount Shard of ignorance. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so Shardaya, um, first of all, thank you for not giving up. Yeah. There thank was you. times that you want to give up and give in and I can relate because there was many times I just want to walk away and go somewhere I didn't have to feel like I was assimilating. So thank you for never giving up because a lot of our uh, young girls need to see you in the space that you're in today. So thank you. So with that being said, let's go back to Detroit. You're gonna go back, so you speak, you do a lot of educational events and things like that, but you're gonna go back and speak to 14, 15 year olds, Shardaya, what would you tell her what advice would you give her? Um, learn who Shardaya is. Like, have experiences. Take the time to figure out who you are before you allow someone else to tell you who you are. Um, and and know that the path that, know that the destination that I have. To for myself is one of honor and respect and that I'll get there. Um, it just may not be the way that I think that I'm gonna get there. Um, and so just, just continue. But I think for me, the biggest thing was, I just didn't know who I was and I allowed people to tell me and that's what really choked me up all those years and really you know, it, it took me off the path because I, I, I did I, I just didn't know. And so I would tell 14 year old Shardaya, get to know you, get really rooted in that and just go for it. Just blaze the trail. That's beautiful. Um, I just want to give a shout out to Collective Wealth Partners, a firm full of women of color, CFP. You want to talk about minorities in the industry? Mm -hmm. I think what do you got? Four women? Um, three or four women with CFPs and one, one I think is studying for it um, as yes. we speak. Yeah. Well, that, when she passed the test, she's just getting her hours. Gotcha. So she's going to be there. That's, that's, awesome. that's, that's impressive. You guys are a unicorn in the industry. Keep blazing trails and doing what you guys are doing. Garland, Greer, any last parting words? I'll just say this. Um, we will do everything in our little tiny power on this podcast to make sure that you and yours get the recognition that y'all deserve. Um, Thank you. Whether it's in Atlanta or outside of Atlanta or whatever, we just don't see enough of you out there. And yeah. I've been out there for 25 years. Um, so when I see you in your firm, um, I'm so very proud of the work you guys are doing, even though I don't even know you, but I know what you're trying to get done. And now I know a little yeah. bit about your journey. And so just nothing but... Um, you know, gratification on this. Thank you. Same. Thank you for educating me on your experiences and, and some of them were similar to mine and some were very, very different. And it's, it's good to know that and to be able to, uh, to really change the way that I see and say things based on other people's experiences and learning about them. So thank you for that. So Greer's going to be a little low key now. So Shardaya, any, go ahead. Yeah, no, I just want to say thank you all for having me. This was a, a really fun uh, conversation to have with you three. I didn't know it was going to be all three today. <laughs> um, that was cool. Um, but yeah, so Collective Wealth, we are just trying to 
close that wealth gap, just, just one person at a time. And so we appreciate um, the promotion. We appreciate this platform. Um, and if there's anything that I could do to be a resource to any of you, I am here to and happy to do so. So thank you. Thank you. And what's your website? Yes. So website is www. Of course. Um, that was like, who am I talking to? I think we did um, away with that. <laughs> CollectiveWealthPartners.com. Perfect. Sounds good. Garland, you want to close this out, sir? Yeah, we are right here on the hour. Um, once again, for those that are tuning into this podcast, we certainly appreciate you watching us. Please click rate and judge us and then unclick us and click us again so we can get more, more followers. Um, but for the journey, the financial advisor experience, and from all of us, we certainly thank you. Thank you, Matt. Have a great one. Thank you.